listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Well, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading comes from the prophet Micah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. You shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster." In that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me to an apostate. He allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. But should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, well, he would be the preacher for this people. But I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I don't know if uh, you all can relate, but for many of us, uh, teenage years can be a little awkward. Uh, Believe it or not, this was the best I could do for a high school senior picture. Uh, I know I didn't give the photographer a lot to work with in the first place, And I'm very thankful that uh, part of the school portrait package included photo retouching. Uh, Back in the day, that was Photoshop. Uh, So somebody would go in and remove, in my case, uh, the little bumps and blemishes and spots from teenage acne. Uh, I don't know if uh, any of you who are beyond that age or maybe even still in that age can uh, remember being 13, 14, 15, 16, and the anxiety and uh, the struggle of uh, not knowing what you were going to look like on any given day. Uh, So be thankful that uh, we don't have access to the unretouched originals for those uh, because it was a a very real issue. I, uh, you know, tried uh, creams and uh, ointment and uh, cover-up and... uh, 
you know, I think nowadays, uh, my, uh, I understand that our, our best understanding of acne is it's really not caused so much directly by stuff that we do. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, there were all kinds of old wives' tale about, you know, don't eat pizza, don't eat greasy food, don't eat chocolate. I, I think nowadays our best understanding is it's really just kind of genetic. It's whatever your parents give you. So thanks, Mom and Dad, for that. And uh, sorry, kids, uh, for handing that off to you all as well. Uh, it is mostly from our parents, but of course there are things that we can do to make it better or make it worse. Uh, you know, last week, uh, those of you who were here or listened online, in Micah chapter 1, uh, Joey brought out this main idea that uh, the sins of the parents permeate the house. Uh, it's a reference to this idea in Micah chapter 1 where Micah is confronting the leaders in the capitals. He's saying that the, the centers of power have gone bad, and it's sort of a top-down version of what's wrong with the country. And now in Micah chapter 2, it's sort of the other end. It's, it's sort of the bottom-up version. The sins of the leaders, the sins of the parent, parents permeate the house, but then we participate. We add our own sin to it. Children are not guilty for their parents' wrongs, but we are guilty if we know better and we don't choose to go a better way. And in the case of these people, in the case of God's people, they did know better because God had told them. We're in this series in the book of Micah called Reflect. Uh, and if you haven't already, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Micah chapter 2 as we'll be going through that passage today. It's a reminder that we are called to reflect God's justice, God's mercy, God's glory as we walk humbly with him. And the disease, the brokenness, the uncleanness of the leaders in the centers of power has infected the people. It's broken out. And God calls out the disease, the brokenness of his people so that we could find healing. And the problem is that just like with my teenage acne, often we try to ignore it, we try to downplay it, we try to cover it up. Maybe we're not even sure we know how to solve the problem. We tell ourselves that's just the way it is. But, but in the case of this kind of outbreak, God is sending his word and his spirit to his people so that we could find healing and be different. God is warning and correcting us because he loves us. So here's the kind of the key idea, kids, if you're following notes, or big kids, if you're taking notes too. The, the main idea here in this passage is that God's people, godly people, righteous people, disadvantage themselves for the sake of others. But that's not what's going on. It's just the opposite. People are taking advantage of others for themselves. But because God is at work, that means there's hope. Hope that he could heal us, hope that he could change us, hope that we could go in a different direction, hope that God would give us strength to follow him and reflect what he's like. Now, in this series, we're going to get into some tough topics because Micah does. Some things that may be sensitive areas for us because this word is just as relevant as today's headlines. And throughout the breadth of this series, we're probably going to offend everyone. So just be patient with that. Be willing to 
listen and process and invite God to speak to you through that. Today, we're just going to follow a very simple outline, this idea of an outbreak. There's a bitter outbreak in the lives of God's people, but ultimately the hope of a better outbreak where God steps in. So let's start in Micah chapter 2. In the beginning of this section, God is condemning his people for their evil, for their ways of looking for ways to take advantage of one another. Woe to those who devise wickedness and plot evil or work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it. And here's the key, because they have the power to do it. Because it's in their power to pursue what they want, and they pursue it. And what they're doing is they covet fields and seize them and take houses away. They oppress people and their houses and their inheritance. So just a little bit of context. In the Old Testament, land wasn't just about having a piece of property to build a house on. Land was the foundation for wealth, for financial stability, for social security and prosperity. It was the way you provided for yourself and your children, and you pass it on to their kids and their kids, and it was ultimately an inheritance from God. But God's people were taking that away from one another. They were denying people in their community the ability to earn and provide for themselves in violation of God's commands and his character. I mean, look at how God pictures it in verse 8. My people have risen up as an enemy. Remember, this is in the 8th century before Christ. Uh, It's not the Assyrians on the horizon who are the enemy. God is saying, my own people are my enemy because... They have been stripping the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly. They've been driving women out of their beautiful homes and taking away children's inheritance. The people who have more are getting more, and the people who don't have any are being taken advantage of. Uh, Now, in this era, unscrupulous people could take advantage of people who'd fallen on hard times. You, You could sell your land in order to get income, to get you through the hard time, but the the rich people were buying up these properties and then not selling them back to people, robbing children of their inheritance. There's an outbreak of economic oppression. And we don't have to stretch our imaginations very far to see what that looks like in our world. Think of corporations like Enron that inflated their books and defrauded people, robbed people of their retirement accounts. Think of banks that inflated home values and gave out bad mortgages, profiting all the way, and then got government bailouts while the people in those homes were kicked out on the street. Or the state becomes all-powerful, and and it assumes all property and wealth and and, uh, confiscates people's freedoms, whether it's capitalism or communism. There's the same results. People with power want something and they grab it and people who are weak and vulnerable get squeezed out. And the tricky part for us is that legitimately or maybe sometimes not so legitimately, we always tend to see ourselves as the innocent victims when we read things like this. Maybe we're bystanders. We're definitely not the guilty party in this, right? I mean, when we hear the story of David and Goliath, We don't see ourselves as 
Goliath. We think of ourselves as David. Maybe we're the, you know, fearful Israelite army, but we're not the unjust oppressors. And, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, if the system is unjust, I didn't build the system. I didn't create it. But do we have any responsibility if we benefit from an unjust system at the expense of others? You know, late in the Civil War, as General Sherman is driving the Union Army down through Georgia towards the coast, he starts thinking about what's going to happen to these slaves once they're freed. And Sherman actually issues a command order to his army that the slaves are to be given 40 acres each of the land on the plantations that they had been working as a way of compensating them for their labor and giving them the ability to provide for their families. Uh, spoiler alert, that did not happen. In fact, the government returned the plantation lands to the plantation owners, and the slaves were given no recompense. In fact, in some cases, the government actually paid slave owners for the loss of their slave labor. And then for many decades after that, black people were denied access to decent schools and good-paying jobs, denied justice in the courts, denied voting rights and home loans, all of the avenues of producing wealth, providing for yourself, passing on an inheritance to your family were denied to people. This is personal for me because uh, a number of years ago, my dad discovered the land grant that my great-grandfather received in Oklahoma. My family was given resources to provide for ourselves literally at the expense of other people. There was land that belonged to other people and homes and resources that we wanted, so we just took it. That doesn't make me guilty for what my ancestors did, but I do have to acknowledge that I have benefited from a system that has denied life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to millions of other people made in God's image whom God loves, to the poor and the vulnerable. That's what's going on here in Micah's day. And God is saying, do you see the blemish? Do you see the stain? And the problem is they're not taking seriously their responsibility to treat their neighbors justly. All the economic oppression, in fact, to make matters worse, gets covered up with a self-serving religion. Look, look in verse 6. Did you hear this? Oh, don't preach about such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You say, they're, they're telling themselves, God is not an angry, judgmental God. He's He's, doesn't, he's never going to condemn us. He loves us. It, it's, you know, sort of reimagining God as sort of a cosmic Santa Claus. He, he's like an old grandfather that just exists to pat you on your head and say, whatever makes you happy, I'm fine with. A God who you know, maybe is angry at injustice out there from those people, but a God who's never angry at our injustice. And, and look at how God pictures this in verse 11. You know, if if someone would go around uttering wind and lies, just, you know, spouting garbage, like, oh, I, I'll preach to you about all the goodness, all the, all the blessing, all the prosperity, that would be the person, that would be the preacher for these people. 
They create a system to advantage themselves, and, and then they gather up prophets who will tell them how God wants to bless them with an abundance of the wealth that they've taken unjustly from other people. But righteous people disadvantage themselves for the sake of others. Godly people. Godly people care about the community. You know, we've all heard a lot about uh, essential workers, uh, people who are doing the jobs to keep our economy going, to keep our communities safe, and, and that is absolutely appropriate. The recognition is nice. But if you step back from it, you realize that some of those ads are put out by companies that are owned by multi-billionaires who are keeping their full-time employees on such low enough wages that they only get by on food stamps. I didn't create that system. But that doesn't mean I'm totally guiltless because I like cheap electronics. I like getting stuff for the lowest price I possibly can. And I vote with my dollars. That does mean, you know, we could support businesses that pay their workers a decent wage. We get to choose that part. And, you know, our internet economy is great in a lot of ways, but sometimes it produces efficiencies by making foreign factory workers or fulfillment center people or delivery drivers risk their health and their safety so that, you know, I can get a cute little sea otter tape dispenser in two days. But I don't have to have it in two days. I don't have to buy it that way. I can give my business to companies that treat their employees well, that value them the way God values them. Anyone here like bacon? Yes, bacon? Now, why is not everyone raising their hands? Steak? Pulled pork? Chicken? This is America. We're blessed with an abundance of, of meat, and uh, it's awesome. And yet, a lot of that food anymore comes from big industrial farms where animals are not necessarily treated well, where, in fact, they may be treated quite cruelly, or they may come from other countries or other places that don't have the same kinds of environmental protections. And yes, it takes longer and it costs more to figure it out, but I could choose to buy meat from farmers that I know have actually cared for their animals well and not degraded the environment. We may end up paying more for things than we otherwise could, but if my goal is not accumulating the most wealth I possibly can for myself, if my goal is the flourishing of everyone in the community, that's a way to reflect God's concern, God's character. Well, that was not happening in Micah's day. Look at what God says in verses 3 to 5. Because these people only cared for their own advantage, their own advancement, look at the bitter results that come. Because they've wrongly judged other people as unworthy, God is going to judge them. Because they have thrown people out of their homes, God is going to throw them out of their homes. Because they have walked away and abandoned Yahweh, they will be abandoned. God says, you'll, you'll get the leaders that you deserve. You'll get the prophets that you want, and you'll suffer because of it. 
But that is not God's desire. That, that is not his ultimate goal. Look at the end of verse 7. Do not my words do good to those who walk uprightly? I give you my word to lead you in a good way, God says. God loves his people and, and he sends his word. He, he shows us the outbreak of injustice and wrong so that he could lead us to repentance and healing. That's the, the better outbreak that we want to spend the rest of our time looking at. Look in verse 12. I, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel and set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy, joyful multitude. Do you hear the love and the care that, that God expresses as a shepherd to his people? He's saying, when the judgment has run its course, I will gather you back together. I will draw you in. I, I will restore you, all of you who love and follow me. Isn't that what our hearts long for, especially now? A word of hope, a, a word of safety, security, God's protection, God's good provision for us. No oppressors, no one, no one taking advantage because that's what God ultimately desires that we would look like and this world would look like. And, and that's what he's actually working towards and working out through us. Because look, look at verse 13. He who opens the breach, literally the one who breaks out, goes up before them. And they break out and pass through the gate. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. God is saying, do you understand, Some, someone is going to come who will save my people from the consequences of their sin. And, and now, of course, we, we know that somebody has come. Somebody does save us from the consequences of our sin. It's, it's the great shepherd king, Jesus, who, who breaks through, who breaks down the door to free us from our captivity. He will break open the way before them like a king passing in front of them. Th think about the imagery that's connected there, just the, the physical location. Where does the king have to be to go before his people? I mean, he has to come down and be with them, right? He has to be among them in order to go in front of them. He has to do what they can't do for themselves. God promises that he will send a king to come and be among them, to lead them for their good and, and open a way for us so that we would go out with him. And notice this is not just any king. It's the Lord in all capital letters there. Now, many of you know that is uh, picked up from a tradition from the Hebrew that we don't write God's name in, in just plain English letters, but it's meant to communicate Yahweh. It is the covenant relational name that God gives to himself for his people. This is not just going to be another king, not another David, not, not a Moses who's going to lead us. But someone has to come to rescue us from God's just anger at our sin and rebellion. And he will come where we are and 
break us out from what holds us and lead us all the way to heaven, to, to God himself. God comes down to be among his people, to be our king, to lead us where he has come from, not just ultimately, but even here and now, to lead us for our good. He is the shepherd who comes to his sheep to bring them together into one flock and to lead us out into the world then in his power to reflect him. Somebody sent me this this week, a quote from The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Harper. Listen to this. We see evidence of the kingdom of God wherever people stand on the promise of God that there is more to this life than what we see. There is more than getting over or getting by or getting mine. There is more than getting over, getting by, or getting mine. There is a vision of the world where God speaks and there is light, there's protection, there's love binding relationships together. There's a call for humanity to exercise dominion over self for the sake not of self, but of creation and others. And there's a promise that as long as we follow in God's way, there is love, there is life, there is healing, and there will come a day when all God's people will stand before him in shalom, in wholeness and peace and flourishing. Because the Lord is at our head. Because the Lord is the one who leads us out. That's a promise of God's presence, it's a promise of his involvement. It encourages us to walk by faith, to love and care for others, trusting that God is leading us to break out of this ordinary kind of life that we know. You know, a group of people had been studying the story of justice in the Bible under one of our teachers, Chet Wood, and some of them started to become restless at wanting to see more justice in the community. So a group of them formed and called themselves neighborhood ambassadors. And they noticed stories in the newspaper about a violation of tenant rights at Lakeside Point Apartments across the street. And it was affecting some of our own attenders here at Faith. So this group began reaching out across the street to connect with some of those renters and to advocate on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of by unjust landlords, business owners who are defrauding people of decent housing, violating health and safety codes, and had organized a a not-for-profit corporation not to literally serve interests, but actually just to avoid paying taxes. So they started praying, and, and God moved and actually softened the hearts of those apartment managers so that some of the neighborhood ambassadors were invited to go in and use some of the apartment office space to do intake for people living in the apartments to raise complaints and concerns about what wasn't getting done the right way. And and then the group started connecting with other churches in the area, has gotten involved with the food pantry at First Baptist and, and is extending out into other areas like education and social service out of a mission that says, out of our brokenness and God's grace, we want to make visible the whole gospel and stand with the vulnerable in our neighborhood. That, that's the vision, right? That for God's glory, everyone in our community would be empowered to experience a fullness of 
spiritual, emotional, relational life. If you want to find out more information, ways that you can get involved with Neighborhood Ambassadors, uh, Debbie would love to talk with you. Debbie, if you're in here, raise your hand and wave. Or you can send an email to uh, info. Debbie's way in the back. Um, send, just send an email to info at faith, live it out. And, and we'll get you in. For, it doesn't have to be neighborhood ambassadors. That's just one example of the dozens of ways that God's people are trying to be involved, to reflect what he is like, what he loves, what he cares about. His justice, his mercy, his glory reflected in his people because the righteous are people who disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community, for the sake of others. That's what God does. He, he leads us to break out of the patterns that maybe we've inherited. Again, last week, remember, Joey talked about how the sins of the parents permeate the house. And all of us have ways that we can be thankful for the homes we were raised in and maybe ways that we can look at things that we picked up that weren't healthy or the culture that we were raised in or the community or the nation. There's good and bad parts to all of it. But the best news is that we don't have to be defined by those families or those patterns because God has come in Christ to take us and put us into his family so that we can live to reflect the family likeness to Jesus, our shepherd king, to reflect his justice, his mercy, his glory as we walk humbly with him. He breaks us out so that we will reflect him. May that be more and more true of us. Let me pray for us. God, we have to start by thanking and praising you that Jesus is the righteous one who has disadvantaged himself for the good of us, people who don't deserve your kindness, your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Father, that the sword of your justice was pointed at Jesus, and we now stand by faith because of your grace as children whom you love. Oh, God, help us to reflect more of the family likeness, more of what you are like. Help us to be willing to explore, examine things that maybe we haven't thought about, ways that maybe aren't obvious to us that we may benefit from systems and structures that really are kind of slanted towards our benefit at the expense of others. And help us to grow to be people who would be willing to lay down our rights to ourselves for the good of others. Thank you, Father, for your promise and your presence and your power at work in us. May you get the glory in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.